0: Anderson Afternoons, the podcast.
1: I uh, emailed my friend Sean McDonald, who teaches negotiation over at Asper School of Business, uh, to chat with him about what role negotiation might be able to play as police and other authorities deal with protesters and rioters. And so I'd like to play the conversation uh, from a couple of hours ago. I recorded it here at my home studio. Uh, with Sean McDonald over at Asper School of Business.
0: Great to talk to you again, Hal.
1: Absolutely. By the way, before we begin our discussion here, how is teaching from home going?
0: Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> it's not my favorite way to do it. I don't think it's as good for the students either. Uh, you really miss the personal interaction. So, I, you know, you're managing under the circumstances but you sure hope the circumstances will change because i think it's not as good
1: yeah Uh, i wanted to have you on today because you teach negotiation at asper and it seems to me that as i watch these protests and the rioting, there is an element of negotiation in there some police chiefs and police forces are approaching it in support taking their gear off marching with the protesters Others are using the strong-arm approach. Yep. There has to be a middle ground here somewhere, right?
0: Well, the first thing I'll say about it is, if you are... This is a very complicated issue. Yep. And there is no one monolithic perspective both for law enforcement and for the protesters. Having said that... In the position of the law enforcement, they really are how they're damned if they do, meaning take a more aggressive approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, They'll be criticized for being too aggressive and perhaps even brutal. They're damned if they don't, meaning if they take a very passive approach, they will also be criticized this time for allowing criminal behavior to occur right, right within their Sort of eyesight.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So the question becomes: Is can you segment this? And, and my own view is, to an extent, you can. Here's what we know: We know that the worst of the violent actions occur later at night. At at night, and what that means is that uh, the the legitimate protesters follow the law get their messages across, which are certainly need to be heard, and then in many cases have have gone away when the curfew set in and when it gets dark. And that's when a more dangerous element comes in, and that's probably where the the point in time that you do need to take a tougher approach. So as Mm -hmm. it gets darker, that's also when it, you know, I'm generalizing here, but it gets more violent. And that's where I think a little more... uh, uh, coordination amongst law enforcement is needed, and we saw more of that last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also means that, that we have to, to a certain extent, try to figure out, you know, when is this a legitimate form of freedom of speech, and when is this being taken over by a bunch of uh men and women with bad intention and when you get the men and women with bad intention it seems that's the point in time and i i get it this is impossible to to be specific but that's the point in time where you need to take a a little more tougher approach
1: yeah and we can't forget the incident at the heart of this just the latest incident in many right so we know why this is happening i'm trying to dissect it with you and i think you're doing a good job how do we negotiate how do we handle as you point out many different things going on here
0: yeah well this is the tipping point so when you get to uh the terrible event where um where the officer uh killed uh george floyd at that point in time that's the tipping point what I always say, with and make a parallel, though clearly less serious, to labor negotiations, is that you build the relationship throughout, you know, the quiet times, so that you don't get to these, uh, you know, explosions of anger. Right. And what it seems to me is that the Minneapolis Police Department and other police departments haven't done enough to build the relationships with the community leaders and and with the communities that they need to. And so it's leading to this explosion of anger that has Mm -hmm. gone all across the United States. So to me, the negotiation is less important now. Now it's kind of, you know, you're trying to mitigate damages. The, The negotiation should have happened ongoing. For years and years prior that's what they need to get back to the table to talk about is can if nothing else can we can we understand each other better and i don't think the effort's been made uh and that's led to some of the terrible events we're seeing in the past week
1: that's a very good point because i think that's where the anger comes from when an incident like this happens and they keep happening yeah black people in particular in this case, get angry. Yeah. And it's understandable why, because as you point out, the work, the hard work isn't being done in between these incidents, and the incidents continue. Yeah, so,
0: you know, the negotiation is very limited at this time until mm-hmm. we sort of put a bit of a, a lid on this. Um, it, it needs to be said that it, it's such a, it, 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 uh, it's almost Transfixed with the coverage the last couple of days, yeah. and it really is so very sad that it's it's you know conti- that we continue to have this problem, and that they haven't uh, uh, improved the relationship. That's that's mm-hmm. uh, something that should have happened.
1: Yeah, and you know, you and I have talked in the past about negotiating disputes between the government of Canada, the federal government, Ottawa and yeah. indigenous people in this country, and it wasn't all that long ago, I know it seems like a lot longer ago, but it wasn't all that long ago, we had uh, blockades that we were dealing with, a much more peaceful way to protest, and now I look at that and I see what's happening now, and I think, boy, that option isn't all that bad compared to this.
0: It's It still has some similar principles mm-hmm.
1: but- Yep.
0: And that is that the relationships that we have with the Indigenous community and the relationships in particular down south in the African-American community are not there. health. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're not there. And I realize, and a lot of your listeners are saying, you know, you, I'm listening to a discussion between
1: two, two white, white guys, guys with right.
0: okay jobs. Yeah. What, how do they understand mm-hmm. us? And fair, but I, I do think that we know enough to know that we've got to get more, more of this dialogue going and then from that ad- agree to address some of the more systemic uh, difficulties that have been pointed out over time.
1: Sean, thanks a lot for this. Appreciate it. Thank you, Hal.
2: Thank you for calling the Stardust Drive-In, Peter. Showing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, June 5th, 6th, and 7th is Trolls World Tour. Showtime is dusk, approximately 9.45 p.m., with the gates open at 8.30. Admission is $10 per person, 13 and over, 12 and under is free.
1: There you go. So this weekend you can see trolls on the really big screen down in Morton, Manitoba. Phase 2 begins today, the reopening of Manitoba in the wake of COVID-19. Of course, the virus is still out there, but it's not evident enough. Uh, to keep us from doing some things like dining in at a restaurant. We can't go and see a movie in a theater yet, but as I said, you can go to Morden, or uh, I guess the other drive-in is up in Flin Flon, but the owner of the Morden drive-in, the Stardust drive-in, joins us now, Marlene Nelson. Marlene, good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon.
1: Thank you for doing this. So, Trolls this weekend, how has business been? You guys have been, what, at it a couple of weeks now, something like that, eh?
2: Actually no, this will be our first weekend. Has okay. has a couple of weeks. Yep, but this will be our first weekend.
1: So there must be some there must be some excitement then, I would imagine people are anxious to get out and do something and now they can do it safely at the drive in.
2: That's correct. Yes.
1: So uh, tell us what that experience is gonna be like. Are there any changes? Have you had to do things differently or, or I guess nothing major, right? Eh?
2: Well, actually, for us, we we were looking at it for the phase one, and so we were implementing the changes for phase one, um, which is, you know, the spacing for sure, if you had to have um, spacing of vehicles and, and everything like that. So we decided to, to wait until June um, just to be able to make, to get all of the, to see how phase two would be first off, I guess, right? And um, So they're saying that we don't have to put a limit on our capacity, but they are emphasizing that there has to be the social distancing. So as a result, we are keeping our numbers down for admission, for how many we're allowing into our site, um, to ensure that there is some social distancing and to give people that that safe zone.
1: Mm -hmm. And what about snacks? I mean, that's, you know, between movies or during an intermission, you know, you run and get snacks. Is that going to be different?
2: It is going to be somewhat. Um, First off, we'll be offering the the menu at the ticket booth so that everybody gets a menu so that they can see what's available and and the pricing and everything like that right in their vehicle. You will have the option of of either sending one person from your vehicle and and placing an order or picking up that way or calling in and, and placing an order. So then um, we would call you back and say, hey, your order is ready to go if you're doing cooked food. So that's one of the unique things about a drive-in theater is you're not limited to just, you know, those quick little snacks. You're able to, if you haven't had supper, no problem. We can help you with that. We've got your popcorn chicken. We've got your chicken fingers. We've got your hot dogs, french fries, poutine, every all of the uh, different things. We even have, like, pierogies of, of four different types. So, um, yeah, we we offer something a little bit different that way as well.
1: And I'm sure you're talking to the people in Morton, and I would imagine, well, you do anyhow uh, every summer, but you're going to get people from all over the place, but I would imagine there's a pent-up demand for something like this. You may see big crowds, although you're going to be limiting the crowd.
2: Yes, yes, that's exactly right. We're hoping that, that people who have not experienced it before as well will take this opportunity too. It gives them the perfect chance to be able to get out and experiencing something that's, that's a little bit more normal, Right.
1: As I mentioned, you're one of only two um, uh, drive-ins operating in the province of Manitoba. Do you see this as maybe an opportunity for a comeback for you? Because it's been tough for drive-ins over the past little while, and, and this might be a real opportunity for you guys.
2: Well, you know, I think that what it is an opportunity for is for people to realize lies that it is in their back, back backyard, right? That we, we do still have this option. I think that's where the opportunity is, because one thing I have to say is that since we went digital in 2016, our crowds have been fantastic. People have been coming for the experience. Um, It made people aware of us being there, and this also gives people, because now we're really looking for safe ways of doing it, and there is, like, you couldn't look for anything better for social distancing or or for being safe, right, than being in your own vehicle. Um, So, I mean, the people you came with, (laughs) they're the people you know, right? So... um, so there's there's all that aspect as well. I think that we've been very fortunate. We've seen a regionalization in the in the drive in industry since the um switching over, converting to digital.
1: Well, and I think that's great because we've lost so many drive ins um, and I have uh, very fond memories of being a kid and going to the drive-in in Lethbridge, Alberta, with my mom and my dad and my my sister. It was a lot of fun. So I'm glad that people are going to be, uh and especially movie fans, because they can't go uh i know in in my house the popcorn is being missed maybe the popcorn's being missed more than the movies. so you may see me drive down to morden to make sure that i i get my uh my popcorn fixed so best of luck and i'm i'm glad that uh, you're able to get back to business and that you're seeing a bit of a resurgence and, and i think you're going to see a big demand uh for the movies on your very big screen down there in morden hello there's barrett hi barrett hal anderson here how are you i'm well how how are you <laughs> excellent hey um i had a big dr do little intro there for you uh I, do you talk to the animals you can sound like the animals do you talk to the animals
3: um i, I wouldn't say that i i talk to the animals all that much although the group that i'm working <laughs> with here today we did actually mm-hmm. uh get in the middle of two uh male snipe that were uh making noise to try attract mates and uh we made some snipe noises, and we had two male males uh, sniping back at us, if you will. So I guess maybe, yeah, actually, um, I was going to say, no, we don't. But um, mm-hmm. there's a whole group of kids here today that would say I was lying if I said that. So <laughs>
1: sometimes well, I, I do was, talk uh, to the
3: animals at Fort White.
1: <laughs> I was talking to an animal on the weekend. Uh, I, I came face-to-face with this creature last summer. And it happened again on the weekend. He ended up in my garage, probably there for a couple of days. And I just happened to open the man door into the garage at the right moment, face to face with this. You know what that is? Can you tell from the call?
3: I'm guessing that it's a Richardson ground squirrel, hell. It certainly sounds like it to me. A little. It, tan it, it is
1: actually, it is actually mm-hmm. a ground hog, a woodchuck, oh, or a hog. whistle pig. A woodchuck, okay? Yes yes okay now is that rare because i didn't even think of a of a uh a uh, groundhog until my neighbor uh walter said well that's what it was and then pictures online for sure it was was a groundhog are they rare
3: woodchucks are actually fairly common around uh around the winnipeg area and southern manitoba surrounding us um because they can eat just about anything that's plant material their food is pretty widespread they're pretty relaxed animals actually usually so they get along with people um yeah <laughs> not I, this uh, one. <laughs> I, Oh no no not in a garage um we yeah. actually have seen two woodchucks as we walked around fort white today uh we've got a couple of families mm. of them that folks can come here to see so yeah um cool. they're not uncommon but if you don't go looking for them they're they are good at hiding let me put it that way yeah yeah
1: well, he's, uh, he's been a resident for at least a couple of years around here, and I'm happy to have him, but uh, he was not happy spending a couple days in my garage going in there when the door was open one day and then being stuck in there for a couple days. So he was glad to get out. He, he wasn't terribly happy with me.
3: No doubt. Um, No, they're definitely outdoor animals um, (laughs) and would be far, far happier outside. Um, They are. Woodchucks weigh between uh, 5 and 10 pounds, and most of that is muscle. They look kind of roly-poly, but uh, underneath that roly-poly, they are strong. So I'm sure it ran hard as soon as it could. Well,
1: I'm kind of excited Mm -hmm. that I've got a a groundhog on the property here because I figure on Groundhog Day, I can have some fun with that if I can convince the groundhog to work with me. We're trying to come up with a name, and we're hoping the groundhog will be cooperative.
3: Well, I hope so, too. Um, In this climate, the groundhogs come out a little bit later than February 2nd. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, you can definitely, you know what, they do hibernate. They have one long sleep all winter long. I would say in Manitoba, I, I love the groundhog day tradition, but I would say that once you see the groundhog up and moving around, then you can say that spring has arrived, period. No more six weeks of winter if it sees its shadow or whatever. The, just once you cool. see them up and running, it's springtime.
1: Gotcha. I got to get to some other animal stories. I've been mm-hmm. asking all afternoon for their uh, people to send in their questions or animal stories, but I want to get uh, the uh, word from you on Charlie the bear, the bear that was up the tree in Charleswood yesterday that was tracked up the Assiniboine River out of town. Um, that was a, a happy ending to that story, but I'm hearing from other listeners today that they are spotting more bears in areas where they wouldn't normally see bears. Are we seeing more bears?
3: You know, as far as I know, Hal, we're not seeing more bears uh, than we would in a normal year. Again, much like most of the wildlife stories we've talked about over the last several months, people are a little bit more aware and we are spending more time outside and at home. Um, Mm -hmm. This time of year, and I'm pretty sure that's what happened with Charlie, this time of year, male bears are looking for a territory. Um, All of the big established males have all the good places checked out already. So we have younger first and second year male bears sort of leaving their home territory and making their way into the world, finding out that, you know, there's bigger, stronger bears in all the good places. And sometimes that means that a bear wanders into the city or a town or someplace. that's just not a place that the bear would really want to be. Charlie's Mm -hmm. behavior when he was in Charleswood, checking out up the tree, hiding until it felt it was safe and then leaving sort of as the cover of darkness fell. That's very fitting with a bear that's really just exploring territory and found itself sort of accidentally in the city. You know, took a wrong turn off the Assiniboine and wound around, uh, right in the middle of Charleswood.
1: Right. A listener yeah. uh, says, "How there's a, a goose uh, with a bad wing, a broken wing or a bad wing on the pond at Brookside Cemetery, and the person says they feel terrible for this Uh, goose. Is it it, uh, an animal that should be rescued? What what do you do when you see an animal injured like that?
3: So anytime you see uh, injured wildlife, I mean, of course, our natural instinct is to help. Sometimes the best help is to back off, but unless you're an expert, that's really hard to tell, right? I would recommend that folks contact Prairie Wildlife Rehabilitation or the Wildlife Haven, Uh, Quick Google will show you their contact info. They are truly the experts in Manitoba and would be able to talk you through what the best approach to that is. Sometimes that best approach is actually nothing because the stress of a rescue effort might be more damaging than just letting the animal live out or heal from whatever the problem is. They are the experts though and they are the ones to call. At Fort White, we'll offer a little bit of advice for keeping an animal safe while you call, but that's uh, really the best thing you can do is talk to those experts and follow their advice.
1: And we're just about out of time. You're the animal expert. You're you're fantastic. I love having you on because you've always got the answer. Um, Anything else going on in the animal world right now that you're aware of that we should maybe be paying attention to?
3: Well, just based on my walks on the trails here and things that people can see around Fort White, um, right now a lot of the birds are building nests, so if you see a bird and it seems very focused on one area, give it some space and take a look. Deer will be having their fawns or are having their fawns right now. That little fawn is so well camouflaged and so well hidden, if mom's not right by it, it's not abandoned, it's just being babysat by nature. Um, so folks don't need to worry if they see a fawn on its own. Just wait for mum to come back. Uh, otherwise, in the natural world, we're really seeing, and this Charlie and all the other bears will love this, a huge amount of berry trees flowering with lots of rain and lots of heat. Hopefully it'll be a good berry crop, and all those bears and other animals that love fruit will have a good summer. We're setting up for one. Yeah.
1: Barrett, appreciate your help. Thank you.
3: Thank you very much, and hope to see you sometime out here at Fort White Hal.
1: Yes, absolutely. Anything you want to plug? What's, there's always stuff going on at Fort White, but give us the website. And and uh, you said you had people out there today. There's always cool stuff happening out there, and I'm sorry I should have given yeah. you a chance to oh, no. to plug I'll one did. or two things. Go ahead.
3: We are fortwhite.org. We've just opened, we're going to be opening tours up in through June. So you can actually go on guided tours again. uh, A little bit of the what and why behind the uh, hows of nature. Um, So that'll be starting up in June. Do check the website because offerings will change pretty rapidly. That's, uh, and if you're just looking for a place to walk some trails and see some wildlife, like a Mm. groundhog, like the deer, we are it's a peak season we're doing well
1: yeah barrett miller thank you very much thank you kindly have a great afternoon
0: hal anderson afternoons the podcast
1: is available on apple podcast google podcast and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts